Mishka Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, hi, it's Mishka. How are ya? Um, man, good stuff this week. The first off, uh, yeah, please go sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. The, even if you just sign up for uh, a couple bucks a month, it makes a huge difference. Uh, helps helps keep keep the show rolling. It helps it helps keep the train on the road. It helps keep the car on the tracks. Um, yeah, patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Um, also, if you are in the Phoenix area or if you're crazy and you want to fly in for a good time, uh, we're doing another show at my house on October 15th. Uh, featuring my friend, the lovely Christine Levine, uh, my friend John Merrifield, who is originally from Louisiana, but will be traveling from New York City. Uh, I'll play a couple of songs. My friend Rad Pinkard will play a couple of songs. He totally destroyed at the last show. And uh, there may be a couple of other names there as well. So that will be uh, 8 p.m. October 15th at my house in Phoenix, if you're in the area. Um, today, this is, uh, this is a very special podcast. This is specialer than usual. Um, a while back, uh, if you've been listening, you know that I sort of discovered my friend Rad Pinkard's music and fell in love with his songwriting. And he and I decided to do a, a, a split single, um, what should be sides A and B of a seven inch record, but that shit takes for fucking ever so the the record is just it it's imaginary it plays in your head the so um it would be two sides of that record uh rad and i each did a song um and we reached out to my friend tim o ellis an old friend of mine from new york who is just an incredible uh vocalist multi-instrumentalist musician producer um and got him to produce both tracks for us. And the result is fucking ridiculous. The um, Timo is a maximalist. He's uh, He is exploding in all directions at all times. Uh, and a, a very intense, very creative dude. I met him through a mutual acquaintance, Marn Lucas, who, Jesus, I got to get Marn on the podcast. She's amazing as well. But... Um, Timo's a New York dude, and I met him, I don't know, a couple years before I left New York, and we sort of instantly bonded, uh, talking about sobriety, talking about music, um, addiction, recovery, therapy, how to get better, how to keep your shit together. Um, and then when I was living down in Atlanta, I, he called me, and we had this sort of like long, uh, jubilant conversation about um, an epiphany he'd had about veganism, that it was wrong to eat animals, which I love. Um, but, uh, you hear me on the podcast every single week. Uh, I just had rad on. So it made perfect sense to, uh, to have Timo on because he's such, a such a wild creative force, um, an unruly intellect. Um, when he, he's, he grew up in New York. Uh, he played with, Chibomato and Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono, and he has since become a um, a producer working with 
a fucking million different acts. And uh, also fields his own band, the Netherlands, who, uh, really sort of mind-bending uh, prog rock, exploding joy nightmare. Um, I had a blast doing this podcast with Timo. He and I could just talk forever. But um, please enjoy uh, this week's podcast featuring uh, a new song by me, uh mixed by Timo, uh, called Paper Plates, a new song from my friend Rad called Honda DeVille, also mixed by Timo, and then a song from uh, Timo's band, The Netherlands, uh, that song is called So Sick. And uh, we'll see you here at my house on October 15th. Uh, October 7th is Bandcamp Friday, and that's when you can buy Paper Plates and Haunted DeVille at bandcamp.com. And I will see you at my house on October 15th. And for now, enjoy this conversation with my friend Timo Ellis. Hey! There you go. There How do you is. like that? Uh, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Can you? Uh, I'm good. I'm well. I should say. Uh, overall, you know, just do it. Uh, you know, typical like seven days a week, forever. Yeah. Uh, uh, independent musician grind. But yeah. overall, yeah, I'm. A, I'm an artist. I continue to be an artist. And uh, for all <laughs> for all the ups and downs, it's. I'd rather do this than anything else. Wait, it's funny. It's it's funny living, living and dying as an artist because when somebody asks you how are you, how are you doing, which is a, a very simple, basic question that they're probably anticipating just a platitude in return, we have to respond with how much detail do you want me to go yeah, into? No. <laughs> I totally. I mean, my my shorthand sort of semi humorous quip is like, <laughs> I'm grinding on the bottom. And things are the best ever. <laughs> like they're better than they've ever been, and I'm still grinding on the bottom. That's just a paradox. I think yeah. if anybody's really being honest, and that's the truth. I think whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, maybe I, it's not true. Maybe I'm just poor, poor, poor taste. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it is like a, you know. I mean, that is like sort of a full fre- frequency response. You know, which is yeah. wh- what you want from like. The, you know, from the pickup in your bass or something like that. You want a little bit of the uh, the high-end detail of like, oh, I feel like I'm making progress. And then that low thud of like death is coming. We want some, we want some, uh, we want some nuance, want some truth. I'll say, I'll take the, com- I'll take the complex. I'll take the pain. I'd rather have that than someone just like, fine, sure, great. You know, yeah. the, one of the so yeah. I, I love the UK for a million reasons. But one of the reasons that I um, one of the things I love the most about the UK is that if you ask somebody from the UK how they're doing, an acceptable response from them is standard. Right. Which is incredible. That's so British. The um, just the the economy of language um, and it's honest right yeah. it's succinct i mean it's the it's like uh that would be an affordable thing to put on your headstone standard <laughs> you know the, yeah, like, and, nah. <laughs> you know you know <laughs> 
So one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is a thing that happens again and again is I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit down with one of my good friends, one of my old friends, one of my trusted friends, a friend who I've been through a ton of shit with, and we're just going to have a conversation. And then in the process, like leading up to it, I'm like, man, I fucking, I know fucking absolutely nothing about this person whatsoever that, um, we just it's sort of like two people meeting in the middle of the ocean and you just hang on to each other and you're like oh you're from st louis my cousin's from st louis or you know it's like we we never had um those conversations so um i mean i the let's get to know each other a little bit right i know you primarily as um a musician somebody who expresses themselves through music the how and where did you get your start Ah, all right. Let's see. Um, okay. So I, uh, basically I I have, I grew up in not musical family, but artistic people. Um, my, my dad is a, uh, sort of, well, not, he's not really anymore. Um, but he was a, he's, he's still with us, but he's got severe, severe medical mishap. So he's not doing it anymore, but he, uh, was, is celebrated, uh, author and marine biologist and a painter and an illustrator and a and so and also a museum planner. So I grew up around with this extremely uh, wildly creative, amazingly brilliant uh, uh, author and painter and illustrator. And my mom also photo and uh, worked and she worked in arts admin. My sister has got a she is a graphic design wizard. She has a master's in graphic design. So I grew up around in New York City in the 70s with just, you know, some sense aesthetics, you know, sense of, you know, but people, my, my whole crew is into, into art and stuff. So I, and I not, remember, not, I remember sitting in your spot on South Forth and being struck by one of your father's paintings. Yeah, no, he's, he's there. Incredible. He's there. Absolutely. Thank you. They're really, they're just stunning. He does these very, just realistic acrylic paintings of, you know, whales and sharks, dolphins and porpoises, and they're they're just beautiful. They're very heartful, and they're just really exquisitely done. So, uh, so music fans, um, I had my musical epiphany really was when I was around ten years old. It was from a classic rock on the well, now well, what's that was it was contemporary rock back <laughs> then uh, on the radio. It was a uh, you know uh, it was the Cars. It was basically the wow. cars, seventy nine, summer of seventy nine. You and remember the, which song? Yeah, I mean, it was it was "Let's Go." And well, the oh, thing yeah. the, there was like there was basically there was the what was on the on the radio of seventy nine. It was "Let's Go," and then I'm pretty sure it was my Sharona, and then like uh, you know, and then like there's just stuff that was like Billy Joel, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then there was I went out briefly for the summer camp for a couple of years, and the total hippie like water skiing instructor guy that had a Corvette played good times role in his car. And it was like a, it is, I, it's like, it was like a religious epiphany. I was yeah. like, this is those, those Lindrums, those crazy fucking syndromes, like in a real car stereo, I was like, this is the greatest. That was the greatest. It's probably still is the greatest experience of my entire life as a nine-year-old hearing that song. And it's this crushing car stereo system. So it was in the year or two that followed that, already listening to the radio but that i uh basically started to intimate to my mom especially that i was like i think i want to try to play the drums 
And so, uh, and so that way I'm a drummer first. And so I, she bought me a snare drum. And so I just destroyed my hearing and also everyone else's peace of mind <laughs> of, for, you know, like a couple of years after that. And then the guitar playing epiphany was in 1980, like a, like a year and a half later, it was unchained by Van Halen hearing oh, that on the radio. Yeah. Like the other, the story that I tell about this is that I heard unchained on the radio and this, the solo came on. I was like, not only I'm going to learn, I want to learn how to play the guitar. Also, I'm going to learn how to play the guitar, but also I can literally trace that exact moment to like, I don't care about school anymore. <laughs> like I'm actually <laughs> yep. not cut out really for this whole straight life. Exactly. Of course I didn't, I wasn't like, there was no, I didn't have the, the, the means of I just on a kind of philosophical level. That was really a, it was a, profound like pivot it wasn't until it's, after college that i was like oh yeah okay maybe i actually i'm going to do this you know it's fascinating to me how succinctly you can identify those two moments of hearing the cars and hearing van halen because yeah. i would struggle so much to try and describe netherlands to anyone because it's such a maximalist band and That's... you you just did it perfectly of like the you know a nine or ten year old kid hearing the cars blasting in a vet and van halen for the first yeah. time that, that's a, and then you know with i would say the dna it's it's the cars van halen uh earth wind and fire and then sabbath and then like when i got to high late end of high school and college and punk rock and like art rock and conceptual rock and electronic music but those four the dna it's basically i mean i in a way like my my band actually it's it's as if Michael Jackson was the singer of Black Sabbath basically that's <laughs> that's kind of the vibe we, we, or Philip Bailey it's actually Philip Bailey is the singer of of Sleep that's kind of the vibe I I, I love thinking about the Cars and Earth Wind and Fire as uh, gateway drugs to rock and roll because I think the way that we can you know the way somebody might conceptualize um, the Cars now is as them being sort of a light rock band or something like that. And that's not how I experience them at all. Like I have a tremendous sort of emotional attachment to them. And we can do this whole podcast talking about the phone. Oh, I know. I'm to total stan. I'm a total fanboy. So the, um, but from the, uh, that crispness of the cars and then the, um, the creaminess or the boogie of earth, wind and fire, and then the maximalist expression of Van Halen. It's like you fucking just triangulated your band for me perfect. It's true. Exactly. It's really, it's not in, in a way. Yeah. If, if you, when we, when we dig in a little bit, there it all is. It's wow. not actually, it's not, I mean, I'm just saying then what well, you get it, there's obviously the entire punk and hardcore revolution that happened in high school, yeah, which yeah. is philosophically like, you know, the whole ethos of not being a good musician was like radical, especially I've been listening to Van Halen and then like Tony Williams and fusion and stuff. I was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, like saw songs, writing a song, singing a song, songwriter, songwriting. And also the deconstruction of the forms with punk rock was hugely uh, revolutionarily influential for someone that had been like a, you know, like a drum guitar store nerd up until then and also drugs there you go <laughs> we're gonna explode the whole thing you're like sucking is awesome <laughs> you know sucking is potentially amazing you know oh jesus put that on a t-shirt yeah. yeah um did uh, uh were you a hip-hop fan too 
Yes, my older sister turned me on. She went to all the. She was a she was a teen and a preteen going to like the danceteria and stuff in New York City at that uh-huh. time, and so she saw a bunch of those bands, and uh, yeah, so it, it was in the in the in the, late, the second half of the eighties, you know, which is still the sort of is when I really started becoming familiar with it, and then really in 87, 88, 89 is when it was the end of high school, and that was when I actually had the full blown immersion in, in hip hop. Um... So how old were you when you started playing? You're a phenomenal guitar player. How Thank old were you, you when you started playing guitar? 11. Wow. And uh, the, I mean, love, yeah. most of the best guitar players I know uh, started out on drums too, because I, th- I cr- think it yeah. gives you a radically different understanding of, I mean, I think you learn how to play as an ensemble player. I think you learn how to play with a sense of ry- rhythm. You're imagining yourself as part of a band and not just the guy standing on the back of the dolphin, like shredding for all eternity. <laughs> the You're drumming on the back of the dolphin. <laughs> the, uh, no, no, for sure. I mean, for sure. In terms of like, I know it's corny. It's not, it sounds corny, but yeah, like you just said, sense of rhythm, like, uh, like it's just, they'll tell you it's like the pocket it's all that matters yeah like on any level for any any instrumentalist if you have a good if you have a good uh rhythm sensibility then your shit just fucking sounds deeper and feels better yeah and so i yeah. did not not do it for that reason just drumming is fun and, and it was like a cathartic channel for all of my you know all of the pain rage and despair that was I was working through at that time. So drumming in terms of like, you know, the, uh, as a cathartic channel is a more immediately satisfying, but then guitar is obviously really wicked too. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I agree that many of the great guitar players are, are especially like, you know, that, that are really considered the greats have a palpably excellent sense of phrasing rhythmically, you know? Guitar is fucking wicked too. I I was just visiting a friend and the I I had been given a the husk of a 1983 Flying V. It had been a headstock repair that then when somebody when they were gluing the headstock they like epoxied cardboard to the front. It just fucking looked terrible. But as soon as I touched the, and it was missing the nut and the and pickups and everything. But as soon as I touched the neck, I was like, oh, this is a keeper. Yeah. And I gave it to my friend Sam to uh you know to hook it up. And so he he did it for me, and I went up there. Flying V, such a ridiculous guitar, so so stupid, Amazing. and so fucking fun. And the you know that's one of the reasons why I was like scrambling when we were getting started here, is I was just up there, you know, sort of I, I can't shred, but I was playing like you know Sunshine of Your Love and yeah. shit like that. Um, Great, just pointy guitars forever. And it's funny too, man, because like even the so you've been playing for. 30 Four, somebody 40 years a little you know <laughs> um, yeah, the fucking, uh, uh, for so, 22 I mean, years yeah <laughs> 20, you've 15, been playing for a long ass time 12 20 years uh i mean yeah but i i started playing the drums and then about it was like two years later that i started playing the guitar okay. i sort of stopped playing the drums uh-huh. right, in a way to start to learn how to play the guitar and then i played guitar primarily throughout high school um but, uh, you know, I mean, truthfully, like, just as a matter of fact, like uh, in the last couple of years and in the last few months, I've actually finally, I'm seeking, I just found an amazing guitar teacher. I'm going to start taking lessons 
kind of really for the first time, really. I took like maybe five or six lessons, but I just did not have the discipline mm-hmm. at all. And, and there's just the sort of the mental, the, the the kind of the mindset to be like, all right, I'm going to learn how to do everything properly. I would just like, just show me some shit, show yeah, me yeah. some fun shit. But now I'm ready. Now I'm actually... Uh, it's extremely exciting. I'm totally, I'm totally going to school and there's, there's, I'm reasonably advanced in some ways, some ways I'm advanced or maybe I'm not expert and I'm intermediate, but then I'm a fucking beginner in some other ways. Like there's some holes in my fucking program that yeah. are, I have no problem at all. It's amazing. I'm so excited to like actually have a mentor now. It's amazingly great. It's wild for me to think about you taking guitar lessons. Be amazing. The, I, are you sure it's a good idea? Because like, I, the, I, if you if you fill in those holes, like, what's what's? I remember reading this science fiction story when I was a kid, and it was like a scientist who discovered that alligators and crocodiles had heart like a heart problem, and that's why they moved so slow. So he fixed the heart problem, and they all grew wings and turned into dragons and destroyed the earth. Wow! I fear that we're <laughs> if you fix the holes in your guitar playing, that we're, we may be looking at a similar scenario i know i mean it's funny you mentioned at least i have a similar like not apprehension but just a kind of a general concern i met up with my soon-to-be teacher his name's matt hollenberg he's an absolute terrifying shredder but also like a just a, a brilliant outsider artist and a really exceptionally creative freak. He play. He has a band called Cleric, which is fucking bonkers. He also plays with John Zorn. He plays. He's like he's just he's that level of just craziness. But he's also like an avant-garde maniac. He's an artist. So I had like a kind of a, I had a great sort of preliminary talk with him about like. I mean, the thing with me is that I'm not. I'm not in any danger of like having it become this thing where I start making like fusion albums or something in a way like uh, I, 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 got, I, in my opinion, I already have, I, relatively speaking, in my own estimation, like I have the art part down. I have the creative right that part down. So for me, like just developing like Ingve chops is just amazing. Why not fucking, I could just throw that shit in there into my, into my punk rock songs. It sound like flipper or whatever. You know? it- <laughs> I it, I wanted to ask you about John Zorn because the in the mix that I got from you of Paper Plates, there's def, there's a very like Naked City moment. I remember <laughs> hearing, you know, a Naked City album in whatever '93, and it just sort of sort of just blown, you know, yeah. it blew my mind. So it's there's, it's good to know that that's uh, yeah, no, it's in in the it's in the DNA, it's in the it's in the muck. Those uh, those that Naked, this one of those one of those Naked City records is. The one with I, and maybe it's with Mick Harris from Napalm Death. Like those songs yeah, yeah. are fucking terrifying. They're like yeah, actually, yeah. they're like, like you just like you honestly, you feel like you just had a nightmare or something. It's not like oh, this is provocative. You're like, I feel fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like actually, they're kind of scary. It's like watching a horror movie or something. The power of music. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, it, like that's it, like really, they're really. So that was a, but yeah, I love. I think, but it's 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 a, a typically fucking. It's like mildly confrontational feedback solo in your indie rock song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's not even really. I mean, I would say it's not any less confrontational than you. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, this is true. The, I, my, my, my voice is the whole uh, theater of pain right no, there. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> what, um, when did you start playing with other people? When did you start playing out in bands? And the, it sounds like you're sort of, um, 
your affection for music and, and drug use uh, sort yeah. of they fed Woo. into each other very, very quickly that those sort of those strands were swirled together. So it oh, yeah. So, OK, yes. So then basically like, a, a you know, so it was it was basically it was get, get, uh, drums and guitar. I think I got high for the first time when I was 14. Um, and that was just. You know, whatever, that was like the arguably the greatest experience I ever had in my life up until that point in terms of being like this foundational relief for it was the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, now I can actually bear my life. I can actually even like uh, I can fucking continue here. Um, so throughout high school, throughout through all of high school, you know, which is, uh, you know, it's like Chrome and all the punk rock and then Pink Floyd and, you know, all of the all the acid rock and all the acid punk stuff. Um, and then, but at the same time, being into jazz and funk and everything, being into everything. But like, it was my drug, my, my substance abuse issues reached the, the first peak pinnacle, the, my sen- senior year of high school. And, uh, and so I, the sobriety well, 1.0 for me was started halfway through my senior year of high school and went for about three and a half, almost four years during which time I went to college where I was like, it was like, it was like going to college when I was like emotionally like 12, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was like challenging, you know, uh, of course I, you, you figure you sink or swim, you swim, you know? Um, anyway, the point being is I was playing music all throughout high school is definitely have a, I was a fucking, uh, a, a maniac. I was pretty, I was wildly excessive during that whole time, but then like, it was, it was at the end of sobriety 1.0, that I ended up connecting with people through my stepbrother's friends, my dad's third marriage, that ended up knowing that were friends with Mark Ronson, who was friends with Sean Lennon. And so my stepbrother introduced me to Mark, who said, you got to meet Sean because we're both these multi-instrumentalist people. And Sean and I hit it off. And then that eventually just evolved, developed into me moving back to New York City after going to college in the Pacific Northwest and living uh, out there after college. And that became, that was the beginning of a, that whole period of time where, you know, it was, it was the beginning of me playing in Sean's band and then Chiba Mato playing. Well, at first it was playing with Yoko Ono with Sean. And then it was in with Chiba Mato, who we met through uh, Yoko's, like a, a compilation record that Yoko's record company got uh they got Thurston Moore and Ween and the Jesus Lizard to do covers of this of the songs from this Yoko Ono album that we had made called Rising on Capitol Records. And that we met Chiba Mata through that and then we all became friends and that morphed into the Sean Lennon band. And so the the was Yoko, Sean Chiba Mato, Sean Lennon thing essentially just was the what well, was the beginning of this entire actual trajectory of me playing music professionally, which uh the the actively during the most active the peak of those things was from the years of 1995 to 2001. To that then that was the Chivamato uh, disbanded for that time after I think whatever almost eight or nine years at that point, and uh, towards at, at the end of Chivamato is when I realized I sort of needed to pivot and try to start uh, cultivating a production chops mm-hmm. and try you know start making music to trying to you know just to figure out like another uh, another. Uh, this viable way of existing in the music world, which I've been doing ever since. Were you young enough when you were meeting Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono that like, um, 
that it, it wasn't that it didn't terrify you to be working with you know celebrities or musical heroes or icons or whatever the I'm, um or was it just oh these are people and we're playing music or the yeah. was there some specter of uh celebrity I mean, or history or i mean well in this case like the thing is i, I was a huge fan of yoko uh-huh so I was like, I mean, like a real, real deep fan of hers. And like the thing about meeting Sean is that was kind of random. You know, that was just sort of brokered just by people in my my stepbrother, my, my stepbrother. It was at their graduation from high school lunch, luncheon or whatever, you know, like this meetup after that, that I ended up meeting Sean. And then uh, so but, but meeting them, I mean, Yoko, the first time I met Yoko, I was definitely like holy shit you know went to the dakota or whatever you know mm. and like uh but uh you know sean is hilarious and extremely personable and uh you know he was also only 17 so yeah. he's a kid you know i'm five years older than him so that was you know i was, I was 22 at the time and so we, we you know of course this it was, it was in that context of young and i was I, that was still in sobriety 1.0 he you know I, I ended up he he wasn't in sobriety zero <laughs> whatever he was just a teenager you know yeah. um and so we ended, ended up uh, just developing this musical relationship. So he and I, there, were, there was it was a sense, obviously, that he's obviously John and Yoko's child. Uh -huh. But uh, he was so uh, he was so down to earth and just hilarious and very uh, just easygoing, you know. Um, meeting Yoko though was another thing, and like you know, because also every you know at the at Sean's practice space, there's like pedals that have John Lennon written on them or whatever. This is his Fender amp from the fucking elephant's memory band or whatever so that kind of stuff is a little bit like holy fuck you know but after a while i mean yoko's also uh just terrifyingly brilliant hilarious very dry sense of humor like english like she's got the her and john it's a whole monty python vibe like mm -hmm. that's the level of sharpness of her whole thing but she's extremely intelligent and extremely articulate in english you know she's more articulate in english than english as a first language people like a lot of them and so if you know the any any of the kind of nerves or you know possible spooky spookiness pretty much dissipated quickly reasonably quickly when i started spending time with those guys you know that that was the experience I had with Lanigan, where the you know I I knew his music so well and I looked up to him so much that it was for a while it was sort of like a third, um a third presence in the room and then the only the only time in my life that I heard him sing ever was we were hanging out in his garage together and he was ridiculing me for like holes in my musical knowledge and he sang a couple of lines from a soul tune to me and my immediate response was like holy shit dude you should be a singer you know the and it was it was weird because i was just hanging out there with my friend mark and i forgot that he was mark fucking lanigan until yeah. he opened his mouth and started singing and then it was just oh shit there it is that voice you know yeah uh, so i i think that is one of the great things about um, work and communication and collaboration is that it gives your brain something to focus on so you don't just think oh you were here then you were doing that then and obsessing yeah. about the the shallow useless stuff of celebrity or not you know i agree and thankfully that never you know they're 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 uh they're, they're just particularly like uh uh, mindful humane people you know what i mean there's, yeah. there's just not there's no like lording it over you with shit you know yeah. so your um 
the first time you got high was smoking pot, and that yes. was also your substance of choice and the the first thing you went off the rails with. For, for which, a minute. The, which I find so fascinating because if somebody gave me a brick of weed and they were like, you need to smoke this, I would be like, oh, fuck, this is like doing my taxes. Like, it would just, it would take me forever to get it done. I, and I would, I would, I mean, I would break, I would delegate it out. I would try to, like, oh, well, here, can you smoke this part? Like, I just, the it's something that... Um, you know, for me, we never has never held any allure. But yeah. even now, like to see a photograph of an old bar, I like get a half on because I'm so <laughs> excited to drink like fucking Midori or just the worst, <laughs> the worst like, like drink some fucking triple sack. Yeah, yeah or, like Robitussin. <laughs> <Yeah, the, laughs> sorry, no, yeah, man, I, that's I mean, in in it with the that was the thing for me. It was just it was the first thing that was available. Alcohol was uh-huh. soon thereafter. But of course, it was just like I was like a you know I it was a I was a uh, would be about to be like a fucking. Hesher, you know, like a fucking hippie. And so yeah. I was like, just let me eat all of it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I would have eaten anything. I would have fucking smoked or drank or I did. And I did, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't particularly hung up on that. I mean, w- within a few weeks, I was like, I'm tripping on acid. Like the whole thing happened very quickly. <laughs> did you, know, did you have, um, yeah. did you have any sense as to um, why? Uh, why getting stoned was so appealing for you, or was it just something where you were like, "That I feel better, I feel less bad. This uh, is interesting. This is yeah, fun." That's also, you know, there's the, the general the thing about uh, the. I mean, I think for me, like my, I would second to say I was not. It's not crippling or clinical, but severe anxiety and uh, just trauma from actually frankly a certain sexual assault experiences that i had uh twice in you know one time in my childhood another time in my teens but the time in my childhood by the time i got high for the first time like that's what i mean i was like it was just like a wholesale wholesale relief and so i was like oh you know that i just made me a you know, plus it obviously makes you laugh. You know, it makes your imagination soar. Music sounds amazing. Like, and especially I was like, even just to be able to transform my real consciousness to actually filter reality through that filter particularly was fucking revolutionary. It was, I remember writing in my journal, I believe this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life was getting stoned those first few times. And so, which of course, you know, quickly the balance got funky and it went to be, yeah, I was yeah. like, you know, it was, if there was some window of balance, you know, I went racing past that window into the overdoing a thing immediately. So I'm like kind of a tech, I wasn't like, I, I was like, yeah, I'm the truthfully, I mean, in retrospect, like, you know, there's the, the joke I make about it is like, there's people that after college realize that they're having a few too many glasses of wine or something. Whereas when I was 14, I was like, this is already going to be a fucking problem. Like it yeah. is a problem. You know what I mean? I'm going to go as far as fucking possible immediately. Damn the consequences. So that's just how I rolled back then. I think it's, I'm still like that on some psychological level. <laughs> it's so tricky to look back to and, and say, Oh, well, why did I find a home in alcohol or why did I find a home in weed or why did I do that? What was my motivation? And it's sort of like, you know, on a cellular level, trying to break down sexual attraction of like, Oh, what is it that we find um, erotic about buttocks or a breast yeah. or a penis or a vagina or whatever. The, I mean, if you look at it at a just granular 
level. It's like, well, fucking, the, I don't know why my brain responds yeah. that way, but it did or it does, and I just have to fucking deal with it. Yeah. The, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing the same thing with therapy of, of going back through. Uh, Kyle Kinane has this great thing about repressed memories and, like, mm. going to therapy to find out what your repressed memories are and then being like, oh, fuck, I, I stuck that in a box and hid it away for a reason. Yeah. Because when you go back and uncover that shit, um, it, it is often incredibly distressing. But but then also I think we, uh, when we see what's in that box, we're able to see uh, what's been pulling the strings and why, and why we react the way that we do. And oh, then all of a sudden you're able to see, oh, in a, in with stimulus X, that gets response Y from me. Yeah. And that's a weird response. And the reason it gets that response is because of this thing in the past. And then sort of when those situations come up again, it's easier to be like, oh, wait, 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 this is, it's like now we have a little context. We know sure. what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think that, I mean, I think it, interestingly, like for me, like there, you know, like the entire, as soon as it became clear that there was, that there, there was this kind of like a, a, this set of tools that I had to possibly like modify, you know, like all the different substances. I was like, I'm going to fucking, I'm just going to try all of them. I'm going to go, I'm going to fully immerse myself in this entire world. And then like a scientist come up with the, the, you know, like in a way, like the entire thing was about uh, uh, expansion. It was about escapism, but it, and it was also about, you know, it was about uh, you know, like uh, pr- sort of trying to relieve the, in, the acuteness of trauma overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also about like adventurousness and also hedonism and fucking. I just liking to blow shit up. That took me. It was many years later than I actually had to admit to myself because as. It's that's easy to be moralistic about it because it's actually correct to be like, well, you were actually doing this to regulate or mediate or to avoid or whatever. The truth is also on some kind of like on a philosophical level, I just like fucking blowing shit up too. And yeah. so, just so the, the the I think the the good news overall is that well, now that we remove those things, you get to process and figure out how to uh, organize and to regulate your an intense. Uh, heightened emotions just without like a, you know, possibly overdosing or, you know, destroying <laughs> your fucking life or whatever and all your relationships and everything. It, it's so tricky because people say people want to flatten it out and just say drugs are bad. And yes, absolutely. Drugs are bad. Drugs are also every single other thing. Yeah. Dr- they're also the, you, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, they're fucking yeah. the greatest. Yeah. Drugs yeah. Uh, until they suck. <laughs> drugs fucking rule. No, you I know. know. You can't, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I know it is maybe it's possibly, possibly it's, you know, from it's this, this is the, uh, the pre pre scandal Louis CK He's like drugs are so fucking amazing that you'll ruin your life with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're just too fucking amazing. And so I was like, I can vouch for that. That sounds correct. <laughs> there have been so many times where I have a conversation with somebody where they're like, Oh, you know, I, I know you have a history of, you know, sort of drug and alcohol use and abuse. And, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I expressed my condolences and I'm like, man, you fucking missed out. <laughs> you, you never got spun out on fucking drugs and alcohol. You were never sleeping on the street. You never, the, you, you didn't have that experience. Like, man, man, my condolences, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you were never a fucking depraved addict. You know? Yeah. In a way, like there's a, I, I know, like it's, I, it's just interesting. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't really, I, the things that I feel 
shame and re regret, remorse are about how the effect that it had on other people. But like, and it comes yes. to like my own, like, and also sad, sort of sadly and bittersweetly, actually, sadly, it got to the point where I just sort of removed myself gradually from social reality where I was like, no girlfriends, almost no friends other than the people that would hang out with me until like 3 p.m. the next day or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that was pretty extremely bleak. It got ex pretty dark. At the same time, like, I, I don't have a, like, if I, if I, I can't go down the regret path about how I, too, too deeply about it just because like then i'll just want to jump out a window but the truth, yeah. truth is is that like and, and I, I in a way I, I i don't feel like a i'm not i'm not embarrassed about it i mean i'm a little embarrassed about it but i'm not like foundationally like uh like you know like a sort of like sh shrinking shrinking away from it i was like yeah no i you know I did a lot of amazing stuff. I did a lot of amazingly idiotic stuff. And I, you know, I alienated some people and, you know, uh, just behave really badly. It's different times, but I also had a really good time, made some good albums too. <laughs> I feel, I feel embarrassed about the, the people I've hurt and I feel embarrassed yeah, exactly. about the amount of time that I've wasted, but also I, I never learned how to use Microsoft Excel or PowerPoint, and I'm so fucking proud of myself for that. <laughs> you know, the to uh, you know to lie in my bed eating um, uh, eating week old Chinese food and watching uh, stripes on a blurry VHS uh, four times in one day because I was so hungover I couldn't move. That seems like a thoughtful and useful expenditure of my time and energy compared to learning how to use fucking PowerPoint. I mean I kind of like, I mean, like, I, th there are certain things like I, I, now, like for me, it's like, well, you know, uh, what I do now is pay my taxes and also bathe and brush my teeth, <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of stuff, like not PowerPoint, but just, you know, basic self-care, Yeah, you know, better late than never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, and I do, um, just sort of like a VU meter, just ping ponging back and forth of feeling, uh, such despair that I've come this far and still have no idea how to take care of myself yeah. and, uh, exuberant gratitude. Like, holy fuck, I'm still alive. I got away yeah. with it. You know? Yeah, for sure. No, in this case, like, and then in my, in my, just in my particular situation of like being in a relationship now for it's been five years and then, you know, having to integrate, regulate. Thankfully, my beloved partner uh, is very understanding and she's just, you know, whatever, like, likes, loves me. So willing to kind of like, uh, you know, allow me to take my time to actually adapt to like, you know, like adult, adult administration of shit, you know, in, in a domestic, in a domestic context, because yeah, I mean, like I, I, uh, to be totally honest, there's a, yeah, it, it's just taken me, it's taken me a while to get to the point where I'm like a, I operate in uh, just sort of like a sta stable, stable, conventional level of like, you know, maybe you could take a shower again, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It's it's funny to me I, when you mentioned your anxiety, I, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot that Timo has crippling anxiety and the and all these all the shit that you suffer from, all the darkness in your life and the shit that you've struggled with, every single time that you mention it or that you bring it up, it comes as a surprise to me because the for the duration of our entire relationship, it was just sort of like the fuzz and the crackle of the modem connecting. And then we've just been uh, like uh, 
yelling at each other as quickly as we can, high speed, like both of us trying to talk and listen at the same time, you know, for this incredibly, incredibly intimate and incredibly useful high speed transmission of uh, the shit we love, the shit we hate, the shit yeah. we've been through, just all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I never, I never see you being affected by anxiety because I only ever see you when I see you when we're hanging out and then we're just blurting shit out as quickly as we can for yeah. as long as we can. That's uh, you know, it's funny. And I agree. I mean, in, in terms of like a extremely, like an extremely active, uh, uh, hyperactive and, 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 and now an analytical faculty, mm-hmm. you know, and also being a sensitive person and uh, curious and a voracious kind of like a reader and watcher and listener. I mean, truthfully, like I, I'm at the point now where I'm like the, you know, just to like you were talking about the 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 hype the hype the the, the high speed the pitch the crackle, like where I'm at, I'm at the point where I'm like oh, like my gen my general my sensibility the whole tenor of the way that I fucking process everything probably more much more than I realize and want to admit in and of itself is an expression of the ang still the anxiety and me just trying to get out in front of like this feeling of raw vulnerability and pain. Like for me, like, especially now I'm finally, I'm kind of like, Oh, like, (laughs) you know, talk less, (laughs) quiet (laughs) down, like shut, (laughs) shut the fuck up. Actually try to shut the fuck up. Like much more often, you know, this is also being in a relationship where there's a, uh, you know, really a reasonable, like (laughs) expectation to like, just listen, fully hold space for another person. Um, but in general, like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've always been kind of a spaz, but then even that and like even humor and like fucking using humor to fucking like just to try to, you know, it's just a, like whatever. It's a cliche about being a st- I, I feel like I probably have some kind of same similar psycho psychological profile as a stand up comedian of someone who's always trying to fucking, you know, sort of shuck and jive their way through stuff and like loves entertaining people and making myself laugh and making other people laugh at the same time as like, you know like an open wound fucking <laughs> may or may not be like uh totally uh aligned with uh or integrating with my like actually setting healthy boundaries and even like sort of being totally candid about really what the fuck's actually going on with me uh as 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 uh in in the moment as as much as i probably could or should so it's an ongoing like long-term process for me to like uh you know, it's like, shh, <laughs> go, go take it easy, man. <laughs> I, I do have two r- sort of uh, fun, funny, cute memories of the last time I saw you in New York. And um, one was, you know, the uh, we ran into each other, sort of met up for lunch, went back to your studio, we're hanging out. And then when we were in your studio, the you relaxed a lot there. And then you, uh, we were sort of talking about uh, fucking the end times, the world yeah. hurtling towards its destruction. Yeah. And you, um, you really went off. And then at one point you looked at me and you were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I'm just the, and I was like, no, Timo, it's me fucking go for it, dude. Yeah. Like I, you know, I hadn't seen you for years 
And the and that has been part of our relationship is us just being able to sort of rant at each other. Yeah. It reminded me of my relationship with my dog because the, <laughs> I play with my dog in a lot of ways where like she, she has a huge mouth and she'll just put, wrap her jaws like around my head or my throat. And I think for anybody else, they would be like, oh, my God, what are you doing that dog? You know, the but that's how she and I interact, you know, and I know she's not going to hurt me and she knows she's not going to hurt me. The, that's just the you know, sort of the nature of our um, our exchange. And I think that's cool. Thank you. Thank you for being gracious enough to uh, field it in a way where you're not like uh, offended or, or just un- irritated. <laughs> it, um, Timo, that, that is have, who, yeah. <laughs> that is who you are, and that is the guy who we love. It would be. It would be. I think it would be foolish for me to to hang out with you and not. Um, not be up for that you well, know the- thank you i i feel like and I, I, I really appreciate it it's a very it's a very uh decent uh reception of the whole thing of my whole thing i, I think that's my uh uh yeah the 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 it's as distinct like the rant the download the kind uh-huh. of like uh the intuitive let me try to fucking like articulate this entire three associated improvised set of perceptions perspectives um depending on the context and also the sort of pitch or the intensity of it uh as you're basically saying can have the material quality of a rant and not a conversation <laughs> like it's not it can be less can feel less than reciprocal sometimes so i have some trusted beloved people in my life who are interrupting me <laughs> It's Which the, is extremely important for me. Thank you, those people. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, um, for your partner to do that, that totally makes sense to me. But for, um, I, I see you so infrequently. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, I think Slash was tapped by Bob Dylan to play on a thing. And they were asking him how it was. And he was like, well, you know, he asked me to play a thing in the style of Django Reinhardt. And I did. And that was it. And I, re- I remember being like 11 years old and reading this. And I, w- and I was like, what? And I love Dylan. And I remember being like, why the fuck would you tap Slash to be anyone other than motherfucking Slash? Yeah. You know? Right. The, and um, yeah, no, we uh, we love you for who you are. Thank the, you. Love you um, too. The, also, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The, the other thing that happened that was deeply rewarding for me was playing you the demos that I recorded and you um, you sort of just you shut up. You just sat there and you just listened to everything at a very high volume. And then you turned <laughs> to me and you said. I feel that you were profoundly lonely when you were writing these oh. and that was absolutely true. And I didn't, and it was sort of like I needed, I couldn't tell somebody that I needed a trusted friend to listen to those songs, to understand them. And then to say to me, I feel like you were profoundly lonely when you were writing these. And it was, dude, it was such it felt like uh, when you go to the chiropractor and he like cracks your neck and you're like, you feel like your head might come off, but, but then all the blood rushes through where, you know, um, you, where you've been in, impinged. Well, I, uh, I, I, uh, well, of course I'm glad that thanks again. Thanks for sharing. And we've since worked on stuff on them on stuff since then, but yeah, let's, I don't know. Let's for, talk for, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I, I think, uh, I, uh, yeah, it's fucking epic. 
that that um, song that your your our shared our joint production of that song is fucking epic. It's fucking amazing. I'm extremely proud of the work that we did together on it. I don't think you and I have actually spoken voice to voice since you, since you sent me that mix of it. And Timo, it's fucking incredible. Thank it really you. like blew my doors off. The um one of the things that I really love about this mix is that um there is sort of a hollowed out loneliness that I think goes through a lot of my songs and all my records and stuff. And I think the mix that you did is there's so much more emotional nuance. It's a, it's a very Timo mix of there is uh, grief and rage and loneliness and loss and the what the fuck do I do now? But then there's also these um, moments of beauty or even joy. Um, the there's a couple of like um, there's a couple of yells in it where you know where somebody off mic is just like woo. You know, the, and it's like, I'm, I'm talking about like death and, um, just my end, my, my own personal apocalypse. And then somebody off mic is like, hell yeah, bro. <laughs> well, it's cause the band, the band, your, your supporting band in this case, which is me and me and me and me is, uh, has an ensemble accompaniment of your tale of woe, which is actually fucking, a. uh, uh liberating it's up uplifting i mean as much as possible you know what i mean because i don't want to make it you can't have like sad on sad still sort of not pleasant to listen to you know like there there's a there's an offsetting there's a kind of i think a ideally of the right balance to be struck in a way that brings out the pathos of your entire your story but in such a way that actually is is buoyant it kind of it you know and that's just me. And that, my whole thing is that that kind of rock band is there's some, there's some like a spirited bass player who's like, it's like Prince's band woo in the background. <laughs> like the, that's all, all the Netherlands, all of my stuff has these kind of like these other instrumentalists. They're like, Oh, in the back. <laughs> that's just, that's just how I end up interpreting things. Uh, or at least many of these things, a lot of these rock and pop and rock and soul and sort of R and B types of things with the strings and the guitars and maybe a little percussion or whatever, but yeah, celebratory, even though this, the message is arguably extremely bleak, even though it's yeah. funny though, too, yes. you know, I mean that, that song there, there's obviously it's super tongue in cheek, even though it's a uh, tongue, whatever you want to say, like the, the dark part, whatever the dark part of the tongue in cheek is whatever off, off the top of your head. What all did you record on that track? All right, so drums, uh, acoustic drums, electric bass, synth bass, uh, electric guitar, background vocals, percussion, and some keyboards, like some strings and pads. And so, yeah, so the entire, you, you're playing your acoustic guitar and singing on it. And I'm playing I, everything else. I also I have to carry something else to you after um, after having heard this mix and having shared this mix with um, with other people who know me and know my music and know my songwriting is that they would listen to it and then they would turn to me and be like, holy shit, dude, did you do all of this? At which point I had to say, no, I didn't do any of it. So go fuck yourself. It's, it's amazing. I, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's phenomenal. The, and what you talk about there of, uh, 
the band, you know, I do, I do recognize myself at, at least at this point in my life to be an emotional, complex person with a lot of emotions happening at the same, you know, same time The I don't know if you can hear it off mic. My dog is having a dream. And it's amazing. Oh, it's wow. the happiest and saddest sound I've ever heard in my life <laughs> with the way that she like barks softly in her sleep. Oh man. And the, I'm not just, um, you know, pain, like, uh, Johnny cash, pain, grief, and suffering all the time. The sometimes like the sometimes I am happy sometimes that I just never put it in a song because when I'm happy, I'm like, well, I don't need to write a song. You know, I write songs to comfort myself when I'm yeah. feeling suicidal, you know? The, but what you captured there is one of the things that I've tried to argue for, um, for each of us as human beings, that um, it's not that we're one person and, or it's, and it's not that we, it's not about embracing your duality. It's your entire head is like um, a room full of bluegrass musicians with one microphone and each of them alternately steps up to the mic for like different parts of the song or whatever, right. you know, so they get louder or quieter. Yeah. Um, like on a, I, I feel like, I mean, in, in, a, in a, it's interesting, like, like I have, you particularly, like, the thing is, there's such a, I, somehow, I just, I have, might be wrong about this. This is somehow my intuitive, my sort of intuitive speculation about this is that, like, sometime next months and years, that you actually will write a happy song. And, like, I mean, but not, not in a way of like the sacred, obvious, like on the nose. Like it'll still have the kind of bittersweet or the sort of broken hearted quality, but it'll have, it'll sort of skew more towards the, <laughs> the, the, the sunshine, you know, I don't think I, I probably would feel the same. I, I would, I would just say to you, if it's possible not to be limited by the kind of like overall tonality of, you know, like, uh, the bull, you know, the kind of, uh, the sad sadness in terms of the genre, you know, you never, yeah. I, I would, I just keep, make, keep yourself open to like maybe writing like every little thing going to be all right. Cause you never <laughs> know, you never know. And that could actually naturally manifest at some point. I mean, maybe not, maybe not. I don't know. It's a I actually <laughs> think that's an incredibly sad song. No, and I, I love it. It's like the, the um, only, only Bob Mar. That's the thing. It's like the only, you know, the, the, the scream of suffering can oftentimes get, it's like, it gets transmuted. It gets transformed into like the most uplifting things that are actually like genetically, psychologically are come from some of the dark, the deepest wells of fucking anguish. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a similar, I have similarly, like, it's very, I'm just, I can, I, I'm, I'm more of my whole thing is pretty, uh, 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 nocturnal, like soloistic. Like I'm not an overwhelmingly, I'm not really an, I, I mean, I'm really, I'm kind of chirpy, vaguely optimistic, naturally optimistic person. And I like life and I, I'm actually, I don't have, I have anxiety, but I, and, uh, but I'm actually wired happy. But mm -hmm. it, it makes for a crazy person because the world's fucking going to hell. It's gone to hell. So it makes for a confusing experience. But in terms of my art, it's like this. Uh, yeah, there's a mel mel. I am a melancholy kind of a artist, you know. Even with my crazy balls out insane rock music, there's a little heart of sadness through the whole thing, you know. So I can relate. I can just say like, there's there, for me. There's no injunction to have to do anything, you know. But yeah. I would just say it's possible for you, like a. You know, I, I like the idea of you somehow naturally getting to the point where it's like, holy shit, that was uplifting, like directly, <laughs> like like straight across. That was uplifting intentionally. 
I do fear that if I ever sort of calm down and get over myself and like sit down and just write a happy song or an uplifting song that I'll just like disappear. No, I know but that that the, that's that won't happen. I'm not suggesting that there. Yeah, there's no there's no uh there there's no like there's no uh, injunction to have to do anything. But you you wouldn't. It's like you know, uh, maybe you would. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> the before we move on, the we will play the new track, uh, my song produced by my friend Timo Ellis. Uh, the title of the song is Paper Plates, and we'll play it right here.
Um, let's talk about Rad a little bit. Let's talk All about right. my friend Rad Pinkard and the 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 flip side of this project, the 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 B side to my A side. One of the thi- so I I you know I know Rad from from being a fan and a fuck up and the, he was my like yard work dude. And then he sort of started sending me these songs. And one of the things that made me decide to go ahead with um, collaborating with rad on a like two song release like this, basically a split single um, was playing his stuff for you in the studio and watching your fucking ears prick up like a cat hearing the can opener yeah yeah man he's got like you had a physical uh you you had a a physical response to hearing his songs uh yeah because he's got a he's he's uh channels them fucking uh yes totally declaratively succinctly i mean he's in touch with this fucking his voice you know, like I'm just saying there's there's a, you know, there's I mean, the, the, anything like anybody, you know, to, you know to, just, you know, considering overall what I imagine the phase of this whole like larger picture phase of the process in it, he's mm-hmm. in about developing, becoming a songwriter, writing songs, developing his body of work and stuff. But like overall, yeah, it's there. There's a level there's a level of uh, uh, like just innate relaxed confidence that he actually has you know it's really interesting so we did a show here um last uh last weekend and it was his first sort of solo show and um he had this line like going into a song where he was like uh you know this next song i wrote when i was uh under the influence of a dangerous substance you know uh that substance is confidence and the and it, it's it's true that he, I, I was putting together a bunch of these songs to to do for a record with Lanigan, and one of the things that he said was he was like the he said you're always like shucking and jiving. There's always a joke or a fucking wink or a nudge, or you you have to wrap it in an a image, a metaphor, an analogy. The just say the thing, just yeah. fucking speak the words aloud, and I think that you and I in our songwriting and in our lyrics and stuff like that, will sort of like gesture around a thing an infinite number of times without just coming out and saying, saying it. And it's at our age to try and go back and learn that simple thing of just saying the words, just speaking honestly and openly is, is so tough. And rad does it. Yeah. At, at 25. I would, uh, I think, yeah, that's, you know, in, he's, it, it's, uh, I would actually say, uh, just just to be frank like i actually i am totally capable of direct i'm i'm capable of doing both i don't you can need do to. it oh you yeah bastard i totally can and do i also do the other thing which is to get you know more conceptual cryptic poetic funny you know like uh, uh cryptic you know but uh but yeah no totally i'm not i'm not really i'm not, really, I'm not nit, especially nitpicking here i agree with you i definitely cannot do it as well as he's already doing it when I was his age by any means, you know? Yeah. But the, he's also, that's the thing. It's his, his record collection. It's also his generation. You know, he's like channeling all of his influences and he's also connected with his own sensibility in enough a way that he's already manifesting these things that are, uh, 
fucking uh, powerful, you know? That's, that's one of the things I've spoken about before is I, um, you know, I, I have a, a very conflicted relationship with streaming because uh, as a music fan, it's fucking incredible. Like you can listen to everything, anything all the time. And as a musician, it's like, oh, well, fuck, we would love to pay rent. Yeah, and yeah. the but it means that people of our generation, you know, you have a clear delineation of, you know, um, the cars, then Van Halen, Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, the maybe, I don't know, Black Flag or whatever yeah. punk rock band was the first one that sort of seared yeah. black, you know, Black the ba- Sabbath. The bad brains, the, yeah. Yeah. And um, the and for me, it was, you know, sort of like uh, uh, Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, Jane's Addiction. You know, but it's it's very much a linear hierarchical progression. Right. And for people Rad's age, they just put on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, and then uh, the Pet Shop Boys plays after the Beach Boys, and they're happening at exactly the same time at exactly the same level. Right. And so I think that's why you see... Um, Post, uh, Post Malone is an artist I think of where he's sort of like just open to his his music sounds like everything. Yeah. You know, he's he's open to all the different influences. With uh, auto-tune. <laughs> yes. It's everything plus auto-tune. <laughs> yes, with liberal amounts of auto-tune. <laughs> the, so um, we will play uh, the new track by my friend Rad Pinkard, produced by Timo Ellis, titled Honda DeVille, right here. Before that I was drunker than hell And next year I'll be in the brand new Chevelle Driving my little nephew to his show and tell With no AC on cause we colder than hell With no AC on cause we colder than hell up with my dogs at T1 They rolling up slips cause we're too broke for blunts But it's nothing but love up under the sunset Plus we can't forget How hard we worked Just to be content Just to be content look like a Cadillac My Honda look like a Cause we do 
broke for blunts But it's nothing but love up under the sunset Plus we can't forget How hard we work just to be content I look like a Cadillac My heart look like a Cadillac talk about netherlands yes give me the because i've seen um some i mean there's a god we we could do one podcast just about cast of cats but the the, but i want to um there it feels like there's actually there's been a very um there's been an evolution there's been uh there's a story there's a narrative arc with that band um where, when, how did you start Netherlands? And I guess walk us through, a, you know, all the, um, I'm imagining that thing of, you know, the, the ages of man, the you know, homo erectus, the <laughs> exactly. Neanderthals. You know. Devolving. <laughs> At a certain point, it <laughs> went, went back in the other direction. <laughs> um, the, uh, so, yeah, so the early, so set the scene. It was the early 2000s in the, in the wake of the fucking New York City electro world. I wanted to try to play some sort of gnarly guitar-based, just freaking aggressive, abrasive rock music. Um, and then this was like, this was in the years I had had been already doing my production company at Chibamato had disbanded. And uh, there was a pre-Netherlands band called Pterodactyl Bird of Doom, which is a quartet, uh, which has the kind of like, you know, it's sort of like can butthole surfers, Melvins, like more of a psych, you know, sludge psych, though with a different singer. I wasn't the singer. I mean, I sang a little bit. Then that, 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 those people left town, whatever. And then like uh, eventually morphed into this thing, the idea of a trio wanting to do like a, a guitar rock trio, but that was primarily driven by a really gnarly synth bass, bass player, bass sound. So th- that. that's kind of always been the concept in a way that the foundational concept, but last years of my not sobriety was when I started the the band. Um, I, I basically, it was after I'd been sober for a couple of years that I actually sort of, well, this that's how I frame it publicly that that's when it really, the band, uh, this was written in 2010, 11 is when the band actually kind of started coherent in a way where I was like, I can pay for the practice space regularly and I can make merch, you know, <laughs> like, and I can even like sort of organize. I don't leave gear at the clubs and whatever, <laughs> leave my entire full stack at the club. <laughs> um, 
But uh, so, I mean, during that time, there, there's been a, I think we're in Mach 4, something like that, <laughs> iteration of the I band. I feel like my band Ribs played with Netherlands, I can't remember the name of the venue, in 2008, 2009, or something like that. I have brief yeah. flashes of you shredding a guitar with a an earpiece. Yeah, uh, this is and, a... And that was sort of the nadir of my drinking. Oh so I, shit! The, so, so I don't think you or I, you know, you know, you and I had any interaction that night. But I do think that we shared um, a stage with you. I, the, the only, and one of the reasons I remember is because the singer of the band Ribs spoke Dutch, and he was. I was like, we're playing with a band called the Netherlands. Just do all your fucking stage banter in Dutch. And he was like, that's a brilliant idea. I'll do it. And then he didn't do it. I know. And then we don't speak Dutch anyway. So it was yeah. like, well, everyone's high, so it's all good. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, someone gets it somewhere. Uh, for well, an, uh, a joke for an audience of one. Yeah. The um, Oh, yeah. Well, that's cool. I remember we played with Fresh Kills later, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, Several uh, times. Yeah, exactly. Like the, uh, anyway, so, so yeah, Netherlands. It's uh yeah, there's very there's but we have this is we're at our seventh full length album now. Wow. Um one just came out on the beloved uh San Diego based punk rock label called three one G. It just came out like a few weeks ago. We have another one, another completely finished record coming out on this Finnish label called Svart next spring. Um, but yeah, basically like uh there have been a, a, a for one-off record deals here and there but yeah building up press building up our name the band itself in my own estimation is the best ever and it's a it's a fucking scorching entertainment i'm i'm whatever i'm i'm a the funny thing about the netherlands is that like or anything like even in like this it's what i it's technical melodic sludge like there's an elements of there's there's some kind of old school metal, but then there's some kraut rock, and then there's some performance art a little bit, and some R&B, occasionally a little dance music. Um, but even then, like uh, I've really been trying, I've been actively trying, and I would like to think, at least I think so, mostly succeeding of not making the same fucking record over and over again. They're all really actually very different, and there's some tonal variety even within the records themselves. And so just an artistic level, I'm uh, fucking proud of that because... Uh, yeah, I the, with with hard hard there's like there's formal rules in rock music. Like I, you know, there are genre f- parameters. Yeah. And so the trick is to try not to just uh it's also it's not as if there's some record company like I need a hit, you know, <laughs> like so we have the freedom to be able to I have the freedom to be able to just experiment. Like the, the record that I just that just came out is closer to being like a no wave, like a kraut rock, electronic trance rock. And the one that's coming out next year is like, you know, it's like a soaring fucking melodic fucking R&B doom record. They're not anything like each other. And the one, the zombie techno from 2020 is like Simon and Garfunkel meets fucking, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, who, who like with the brutal truth or whatever, you know, like fucking, <laughs> you know, it's just, but anyway, so anybody, any of the potheads and stoners and fucking uh, hard rock weirdos, kindly check out my band because it's fucking wicked. <laughs> One of the things that I really love about Netherlands is, like, I remember having uh, an argument in the practice space with one of the guitar players from Fresh Kills, and I, I had brought in a song, or somebody had brought in a song, and they were like, this song doesn't sound like what Fresh Kills does. And I said, well, nobody's going to give us more voice that we just have to take it. We have to say, we also do this. Yeah. 
and and then it does become a thing that we do and that's one of the things that i think netherlands does so well is that you guys just claim all this sonic real estate and you say all of this it's like manifest destiny everything we can see from where we're standing right now it all belongs to us and we can yeah. draw from anything and everything and we'll we'll sort of mash it up however we like and that's what netherlands does we do I- everything that's I I greatly appreciate that. I'd less like to say for the record that anybody listening, it's not just for the sake of being zany or quirky. Like there's yeah. there's aesthetic coherence of the whole thing. Like the albums, they 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 there's 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 aesthetic continuity between everything. But it's also not like and now reggae and now like you yeah know, no it's not a, it's not a it's not a stunt you know the yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the um and it's not some uh it's not some genre experiment the yeah, I mean I, yeah I, to me it feels like an expression of love. That like right. we we love everything we see. That music sounds good, you know, and uh, that's beautiful. That, Thank you. That's, that's ex- that, I would. That's amazingly great. I appreciate that. So and, that's correct. And you guys are just a two piece now, correct? Now we are a duo with a uh, with a with a backing track bass player, uh, which actually totally just as far as I can tell in terms of the staging and the sound is integrated seamlessly. Like I was a little worried about having a you know, sort of a phantom bass player. But the whole thing about Netherlands is a lot of the riffs are so unison. It's like, it's like one big, it's like one giant bass line. A lot of the songs are, you know, there's not a lot of counterpoint. Like the, the, the entire thing is like one sort of huge, mostly super low octave, often very low octave. So the, the, the phantom, the, the, the backing track bass player is not notably, it's not distracting by, Mm. by all accounts. And I was getting some of my, uh, harsh critical friends to just tell it to me straight and they're like yeah it's fine you know but uh but yeah it's cool this the the drummer's his name his name is david keith uh it's originally from connecticut he lives in nashville i met him fucking through a sponsored post on instagram which is random he reached out to me based on me uh, promoting one of these other albums i made and uh we hit it off and he's amazing he plays he's also in rainbow he plays with richie blackmore which is fucking amazing wow you know so he's in he's in rainbow rainbow the band he's also in richie blackmore's rainbow's Richie Blackmore's Night, which is the Renaissance rock band. He wears like tights and shit. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, he's, he's an unbelievably graceful, crushingly shredding rock drummer. Like it's like watching some ballet dancer. He's fucking stunning. And so together, uh, yeah, it's, it's wicked. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just very grateful because he's like a fucking killer. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen the, you know, the current incarnation, but I, I can't wait to see you guys play. If, if you, can I, can I, can I, uh, can I pitch? Can I, can I pitch something? The, well, Is I was going to say, well, uh, let's, let's get out of here on another one's track. But before we do that, um, do you want to run down a, a list or a partial list or just the, off the top of your, of your head, some of the people you've worked with, because I think that's a great expression of the, the length and breadth of your chops as a producer and your, uh, just all the ways in which you engage with music. Okay, great. I mean, like that. So, I mean, and, uh, I've done for, for producing, I've done tons of, I've done a ton of stuff for brands and for like just a bunch of stuff for scoring, like for, for, you know, for, for stuff in short films and some other feature films, licensing. The people I played with, I mean, I played in Chibamato. I played with Sean Lennon. I played with Yoko Ono. I played with Space Hog. I've done recordings with Gibby Haynes. I've done recordings with uh, John Zorn. Uh, did re- recordings with Money Mark, um, Domino Kirk. Uh, God, there's been, you know, and who, who else? Um, 
You have the cool uh, Keith thing. Oh yeah, out. cool Keith is like uh, cool oh Keith God. is a collaboration on my upcoming a uh, kind of like old school hip hop record, the solo album that I'm also making at <laughs> the same time as everything <laughs> else. Um Jonas oh, I was in Jonas Policewoman too. Um like uh uh yeah, there there's there's more. There's a bunch more I can't think of off the top of my head, but yeah. I'm Timo, it's fucking it, wild. It's re- the I mean your resume is it's confounding. <laughs> thank you it's uh yeah no it's fantastic i gotta I, you can uh, i it can maybe play you know can i, I want to send you i gotta i'll send you some other i gotta send you these netherlands records that i'm, I'm yeah, sitting yeah. on the finished ones because yeah they yeah, have deep deep shit you know? well let's um uh tell people tell everybody where they can find you and then let's fucking play a netherlands track and maybe, get out of here thank you all right anyway so th- thanks to anybody that cares i'd greatly appreciate it i'm timo ellis Anybody like the weirdos and musicians and people that like really heartful fucking weirdo, super eclectic, but very deeply felt music can find 20 plus of my albums on timoellis.com. The Netherlands site is netherlandsband.com. And there's a bunch of music and videos. There's a ton of fucking media, blah, blah, blah. It's all, all the links to all the DSPs are there too. Uh, Anybody that lives in the New York area that wants to, uh, come to the uh, Netherlands record release party is going to be on November 9th at St. Vitus in New York. So please come on down. But otherwise, I humbly, kindly implore you to check out my music because it's fucking uh, it's vast. I have, excuse me, <laughs> burping. I have, a, I have, a, I got tons of, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vast catalog of stuff, you know, worth, worth checking out. I believe it's, it's wild. And the, I mean, also, I mean, hopefully this goes, uh, I've expressed this uh, very well before you're a fucking incredible producer. And I, and uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends are uh, musicians who are listening to this. If you're looking for somebody to, uh, to blow the fucking doors off your mix. I appreciate that. I'll uh, hit me up as they say, HMU. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The, what, uh, what song are we going to get out of here on? Uh, let's see. Uh, how about um, the, I don't know. I mean, I was going to say something from the newest Netherlands record, which is called Kali Corvette. Um, I think I will play the a song called So Sick. So Sick. Awesome. From Kali Corvette. Timo, you're the yeah. best. I love you. Mishka. I'm so glad we did this. The, we got to do this again soon. Mishka, I love you too. Thank you. You. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you know, I, everyone have a fantastic fantastic day and night wherever you are awesome talk to you soon brother all right have a good one man
folks thank you so much for listening i know there's uh a million podcasts out there we appreciate you uh you spending your time with us the um if you're digging the show if you're enjoying it if you if these conversations uh move you make you laugh annoy you piss you off um please take a minute to uh to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast uh it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it um if you'd like to hear bonus episodes song demos just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations all sorts of different uh, bonus material writing advice uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that uh, go to patreon.com slash mishka shabali uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and i answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there uh, thank you so much for supporting